right, man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? Woo! My gosh. I don't know about you, but I'm still living back there, so we'll just see where this goes today. But uh, listen, uh, we have some exciting stuff going on here at Highland Park Community Church, um, not the least of which is getting, people's, getting to see and witness people's lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, Amen. And uh, we're just glory, glory to the Lord for his work and calling and saving. And, uh, man, I'm just moved by that. Um, we have a team of people who are dedicated uh, to helping us discover where God wants us to reach outside of these walls, okay? So we've been a church for a little over two years, amen? amen. And, uh, yeah, praise the Lord. By God's grace, um, God has put the church on the earth to be a vehicle for his mission, Amen. And so we, we take that seriously. So I'm going to invite our missions team up. If you guys would just collect yourselves from wherever you are and uh, saunter on up here. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Saunter. I mean, I need a little more like in the hips, you know, as we're doing this. Here we go. <laughs> Listen, you pipe down over there. All right. All right. Good, good, good. I'll be missing a couple, but you guys will represent the whole today. How about that? Sound good? Perfect. All right, guys, listen. So um, every year at, at Highland, we focus on missions. We keep taking... You good? Okay, good. Awesome. To the next. Yeah, yeah, there's that too. Um, no, not the tongues of angels. That was the tongues of Arlie getting weird. So... Um, the, uh, we focus on missions as part of our rhythm uh, to keep our heart aligned with what God's called us to do as a church, okay? And so we've set aside this weekend to do just that. And so we wanted to introduce you to your missions team. And so there's a couple not here, but this is your missions team. Would you guys welcome them with me? Thank you. And Pastor Keith, you're kind of under your, your supervision, your help, your direction there. And, and uh, if you would just explain to us, what do these guys do? What are these, what are these, well, these gals up here today? We're missing some of the guys, but... Yeah, we're missing a couple today, yeah. but this team has prayerfully committed to annually work with Pastor Arley and the leadership of the church to determine what's the vision over the next year-ish yeah. for both local and global missions, yeah. to present options to the leadership for consideration and approval. You hear some of that today. There's some amazing things God's mm -hmm. doing locally here. Mm -hmm. And then once those are approved and submitted to the body, this team is responsible to make sure they succeed. That's and great. so it's a significant commitment that they've made, Absolutely. and they're, they're on for at least two years and hopefully longer than that. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Let's just thank them for doing that commitment, <laughs> reaching out, helping to get these things going and, and get us following where the Lord is leading that way. It's a huge task, guys, and so we, we just appreciate you very much in that. Church, what I want to do is I want this is a big call for them, and so I want to actually pray for them, okay, as they've, got, they've begun before this, but we want to now officially just as a church recognize you guys on this team and pray for you as you follow the Lord into where we're going mission-wise. So would you guys would, if you guys would stand, extend a hand of blessing over them. I'm going to come around you guys here, okay. We're going to cover you in some prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this team of people who are passionate about the gospel. Lord, who have said yes with their lives to living on mission, the mission of the king. God, we recognize in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are not saved by works, but we are saved for good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And I thank you, God, that each one of these is walking in that gift. Lord, I pray over them that you would give them a unique discernment, um, strength, power from your spirit, Lord, um, to help guide and, and lead where we go and who we, who, we, who we help, Lord, along the way. God, I pray for the eyes of the Samaritan, uh, for each one of these, Lord, that they'd see the helpless, the hurting, the needy, and they'd be able to say, yes, the Lord's leading us right here. God, I pray for moments like the disciples had at the gate called Beautiful, where they looked and they saw a man, and the Lord said, this one. God, I pray for more and more of that in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for their commitment, their passion to you. I pray your blessing over them. This house blesses them. And we thank you, God, that we get to join you in your mission to bring your gospel to the community and to the world. And so, Lord, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, we pray that you would move this house in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Good job. Good job. Awesome. Awesome, you guys. Listen, so in light of that, 
Um, we're taking a quick break. We'll be back to Romans next week to continue chapter 8. I'm very excited about that. Um, but we're going to move out of that for just a moment today to really look at Jesus' mission here um, from, a, from a pretty neat perspective. And so I want to just start by um, reading to you what Jesus recorded, or excuse me, what, what Luke recorded about what Jesus said his mission was. Um, and it comes from Luke chapter 4. This is what Jesus says when he's announcing his mission, what he's called to do by God to his hometown of Nazareth. It says this in verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set, listen to this church, at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Church, isn't that a beautiful text? I don't know if we, uh, this is what I come back to again and again when I want to picture what Jesus' heart for ministry is. It's right here. The spirit of the Lord, the anointing of, of, of God is on him. It's resting on him, right? So that he could proclaim good news. And that proclamation of good news looks like setting at liberty the captive. Amen? Setting the oppressed free and announcing the year of the Lord's favor. Church, how many of you have been set free from something? Praise God. Church, how many of you have experienced the delivering hand of Jesus on your life to rescue you as you testify this morning? Come on now. I want to praise the Lord for that right now. We get to see God at work delivering and moving even still today. Church, have you felt what it's like for Jesus to open the prison door and for you to go running free? Have you tasted that, church? Come on now. And that tastes good, doesn't it? Jesus came to set captives free. And so today, by God's grace, we're going to look at the power of Jesus' ministry in the lives of the captive. You with me? Church, we believe wholeheartedly that Christ is still at work delivering those bound to sin, addiction, slavery, and oppression. We believe that. And church, we believe that Christ's work still continues through this church, through this house, through us as his people. Amen? And so we're engaged with that mission, church. He ain't finished with what he started. <laughs> Come on now. Church, this morning is going to be powerful. Uh, we're going to do three things here. We're going to search scripture to see what Jesus did in the life of a man who was possessed by many demons. Church, we're going to then hear a powerful story of a woman from our own house, from our body, and the story of, of God freeing her over the last two years, and it's going to blow your mind. And then church, finally, we're going to end by announcing who God's called us to partner with locally so that we can see more and more people delivered by the power of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen? Are you with me? Let's go to him in prayer, church. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and I ask for your heart. God, what we're going to be engaging with today through your word is something that's designed not to just to tell us truth, but to move us. God, to stir us. Lord, to em empower us and embolden us and equip us. God, your word is given to transform us. And so I pray for the transform transformational power of your Holy Spirit to be at work in this room right now. God, I pray we wouldn't hear these words and think well, that's really neat for somebody else. I pray that every man and woman and child in this room today would hear this word as a call to action to live their lives so that others can come to freedom in Jesus' name. God, I pray for those in this room who right now are still being held captive. I pray in Jesus' name, today's the day when you set captives free. So Lord God, would you be the light unto our feet? Would you guide our way? Would you keep me from stumbling in your word? Would I preach truth in the anointing, the power of your spirit today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen, awesome. All right, grab your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Um, this morning, I want to key in on a story that demonstrates not only Christ's power, and, and certainly does, guys. You have to not miss what Luke is doing. He's telling us this story of Jesus' miraculous power over the demonic and spiritual forces that he is God, right? Don't miss that. Um, but it's also demonstrating to us Christ's compassion for those who are captives. Christ's compassion for the oppressed. Church, this is a story of a man who was possessed by many demons. And in this story, we get to see what, only, what Jesus came to do, which is set him free. 
And so I want you to lean into this today. Um, as I read this to you, as we read this together, I want you to read this um, really placing yourself in the story. Listen to it imaginatively. Listen to it um, for the details, for the sounds. Picture it, right? It's designed to move you, not just tell you something. And so put yourself in this thing and really listen in, church, um, so that God can do his purpose. We're going to Luke chapter 8, verse 26. And uh, here we go. We normally stand to read this, but we're a little tight on time, and so we're just going to preach through this as we go. You guys cool with that? We'll stand and read next week, all right? You with me? Okay. Verse 26. I'm going to interrupt this thing throughout as we do this, so just lean in with me here. Then they, that's the disciples and Jesus, sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped on, out on land, there met him a man from the city who had, say it with me, demons. For a long time, how long, church? He had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Let's pause there. Okay, church, so Jesus here sails across the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side to a region inhabited by Gentiles uh, or non-Jewish people. Um, they're in the countryside, not in the town. You notice that, right? They're out in the country where this man is dwelling, not in the city where he's from. You with me? So they, they roll up to this kind of farmland area on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus steps out of the boat. And immediately when Jesus hits the land, as soon as he steps out, what happens? A naked man comes running out and meets him. Um, that would be rather alarming, yes? I just got back from a little time in Seattle. Sounds like we're there for just a moment, okay? Um, Luke tells us this man was from the city, which means what? He used to live there. Okay, so he wasn't always this way, right? But now where's he at? He's oppressed by demons, says for a long time, he is naked and he is in a graveyard. Can you picture this scene? For some of you, it's a little too much, right? <laughs> Luckily not for Jesus. I want you to really think here compassionately, okay? Go with me for a moment. Think of how dehumanizing this man's condition is. I mean, really, we can read it and ah, oh, ha, 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 but think about that. And he is unclothed. Which means, church, he's exposed, he's vulnerable, he's not in his right mind, and instead of dwelling with the living, he is living among the dead. Church, this should move you. Because there are some right now who should be dwelling among the living, but are living among the dead. Verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, that's Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Okay, church. So we have something implied in the story here, don't we? Luke tells us what happened after he tells us the response, yes? So what happens first? Um, Jesus, when seeing the man, must have noticed immediately that he was demon-possessed, yes? And so Jesus commanded the demon to come out of him. You with me? And then it says that the man saw Jesus. Now, when we hear that, we think, okay, he turned and looked, and there's Jesus, right? Church, there's something way more going on here with that. Because I think what's happening is that he's recognizing Jesus as far more than just an ordinary man. Because, and this is why, because it says he cried out, he just yelled and fell down. Church, when we fall down in fear, when you see this happen before in the Bible throughout biblical narrative, this is a common response when people realize they're in the presence of deity, this man doesn't just see Jesus here. He sees God is here, and he falls down before him. Amen? 
Let me tell you what demons have to do in the presence of the Lord. Bow, church. This demon-possessed man noticed that Jesus was the Son of God as revealed by what he says. He says, what do you have to do with me? Jesus, what's he say there? Son of who? The Most High God. Church, this demon is not exercising belief, but understanding. Be clear with me here. His profession of understanding who Jesus is is not an assent to saving faith in him. It's a belief, an acknowledgement. Listen, even the demons know who Jesus is and they quiver before him. Come on now. They can't deny who he is. It is Christ. It is God in the flesh. And he falls down before him in great fear. Church, it is not yielded. It is terrified. Are you with me? Then listen to how Luke describes the demon's activity in this man's life. Think of these words. For many a time, how many times? Many. It had seized him. So there's times when it's not seizing him, and there's times when he's seized by it. You with me? He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Just think about this poor man with me, church. He was so oppressed and such a nuisance to society that the only thing they could do was to try and lock him up. You with me? Um, in fact, in, in Matthew's gospel, when he tells the same story, he says that this man was given to violence, that he would, he would start tearing people apart, he'd start beating them up within the city. He was violent, full of violent rage against humanity. And so what they would do is they would try to lock him up, right? And so for a season, they'd lock him in shackles. And so church, listen to me, not only was he a captive spiritually, but at times he was also a captive physically, and this was a cycle, church. Um, the demon would seize him, he'd act out, they'd throw him in jail, he'd break out and he'd go back into the desert. And he did this again and again and again. And do you know what's significant about the desert? Revelation 18.2 says it is a haunt for demons. It's the dwelling place of the demonic. And according to Isaiah, it's a desolate land for unclean creatures, church. The demon would take him out into further captivity every single time on this spiral, getting worse and worse and worse, till Jesus finds him totally consumed by that which had a hold of him living naked out in a graveyard. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. Church, there are so many demons in this man that their name is Legion. Now, in the time of Augustus, a Roman legion contained 6,000 soldiers. 6,000. Now, I don't think we have to take this literally and say there's 6,000 demons, but what do we have to understand? There are thousands of demons at work in this one man. Holding him captive. Church, that's a lot. That's some power against you, amen? Verse 31. And they begged him, that's Jesus, not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they, the demons, begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Church, the demons fear Jesus. They have to submit to Jesus, and they're under the authority of Jesus. Do you see that? And they beg him not to send them into the abyss. What's the abyss? It's the holding place for the demonic spiritual realm who's being judged by Jesus. 
okay? The abyss is where they're going to go and be held for such a time till Jesus banishes them finally to the lake of fire in the end. The, the abyss is a place where they have no right to move or, or, or go, okay? And they're begging Jesus, do not send us to the abyss, right? And so they ask him instead, would you send us into the pigs? How many of y'all love pigs? Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why this happens. I don't know why Jesus allows this. There's a, it doesn't say. And people debate this, and I'm not going to get into it because it just doesn't matter. Um, but here's what we know. They enter the pigs, yes? How many pigs are there? Yeah, it's described as a large herd, right? And thousands of demons come out of this man, and they enter into these thousands of pigs, and all these pigs go rushing off a cliff and dive into the Sea of Galilee. What does that tell you about how many demons were in this man? Loads, right? Church, there's so many of them, it can wipe out a large herd of pigs. And here's what's fascinating, church. This is so ironic. The sea, in, in biblical genre, is often considered, get this, the abyss. Church, this is such poetic justice. <laughs> Like the very thing the pigs asked to avoid, they ran into themselves with the demons. Come on now. Church, the demons didn't want to go, and Jesus sent them anyway. Church, he didn't drive the pigs into the sea. The demons did. They took themselves into the abyss where they belong. Amen? Watch what happens next. Really look at this, guys. When the herdsmen saw what had happened... They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, listen to this, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Wow. Church, the whole time this thing is happening, there's another group of people who are watching, isn't there? These herdsmen, these guys who are out there to take care of the herds. Now, in that day and age, these guys aren't the owners of the herd. They're the they're workers out there in the field making sure they're good. What do they do? All these herds all of a sudden go, drowning themselves in the sea. So these guys go running back to town, running through the country, announcing to everyone, you got to listen to what just happened. But here's what's amazing. In, a, in Matthew's account of this story, um, it says that they told everything that had happened, but especially what had happened to the man. They're going like, yeah, the pigs are dead, but oh my gosh, you got to see what Jesus just did to that guy. And everybody knows who that naked guy dwelling in the graveyard is, by the way. And God has done something so powerful here that they go and they start announcing it. And that would take some time, by the way. They're running out to go do this, yes? And during that time, something happens. The man who was once demon-possessed is now transformed because they come back and it's a different man sitting there, isn't it? Church, it describes him like this. They found the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Those words just blow me away. Church, sitting at the feet of Jesus is a biblical euphemism for someone who is following another. This man wasn't just freed from the demonic, he became, became a follower of Jesus, sitting at his feet, hearing his instruction, living now under the words of Jesus Christ Church. It transformed him, but not only did he follow, he no longer was naked, he was now clothed. He's not naked and ashamed anymore, church. And then it says that he was now sane, because the one who could transform his mind had found him. Praise the Lord. Church, his life was completely altered that day. He went from being a captive to being captivated by Jesus. Come on now. And that's what Jesus does. And those who had seen it told them, that's the townsfolk, the people coming from the country, how the demon-possessed man had been healed. You should have seen it. Now, we would think that the crowd running out to see this 
would be impressed and would be amazed. In fact, other texts, um, this, this is the kind of typical response, right? When Jesus feeds the 5,000, more people are like, wow, who is this, right? They're flocking to him when he's healing other people. He's casting out demons in other towns. They're going, man, we want more of Jesus. Like, come on, come cast out some more demons. I've got this one, right? And, and so we'd expect that. But watch what happens. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes, those who probably owned the herds, by the way, asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. Church, the people did not respond in awe of Jesus. They responded in terror, just like the demons. And so they asked Jesus to leave. And look what Jesus did. So he got into the boat and returned. Okay. That's devastating. But watch the man's response. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Church, when Jesus sets captives free, and here he did exactly that. Jesus said, I have come to set the captives free. And right here, he did that. Amen? That man who once tormented the city in violent rage became a man sent free. A man, instead of shouting hate, he proclaimed what Jesus had done to set captives free. He starts announcing, look, you know who I was. You know what, 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 what I was all about. You chained me. You sent me out into the desert. There I lived naked. But now God has returned me to my home even, church. Come on now. Instead of shouting hate, he's proclaiming that Jesus is the one who sets captives free and he declares it all over the city. And church, we can all celebrate that. That's a beautiful part of the story, amen? But there's one part of the story designed to not sit well with us. Any guess on what that is? The part where the people ask Jesus to leave. Why? Church, why did the people ask Jesus to leave? What's the text say? Because they were seized with great fear. What did they fear? Church, the text isn't explicitly clear on that. It, it could be they feared the presence of God in Jesus. That was certainly the response of the man when he was still demon-possessed. He fell down to the ground with great fear. It could be that, right? It could be that they feared that he would transform too much of their lives. Church, this man's whole world was changed. Everything about him was transformed. Jesus didn't just change a little and leave the parts he liked. Everything about the man was completely altered. And perhaps they liked the way they lived. Perhaps they were happy in their lives and didn't want to have to follow Jesus like this man now wanted to do. Perhaps it was that. Or maybe it's this. that they feared if Jesus came to town and started healing, that they might lose and experience even greater financial liability. Church, losing thousands of pigs that day cost them greatly. Those pigs did not belong to the demonic man. 
Those pigs didn't even belong to the herdsmen. Those pigs belonged to the people of the town and the region, and they lost them all in the sea, church. The cares of the world, the lives they had built, their comfort and wealth were too much of a sacrifice for the freedom of another. Church, sure, this man was now at peace, right? He was sane and he was whole, and that's amazing, but they lost their livelihoods in exchange for his freedom. Sure, Jesus is credited with healing him, but they had to pay the price for this captive to go free. Do you see that in this text? Church, maybe staring into the glassy sea where there are pig carcasses still floating and sinking was a mirror telling them there there would be even more to give up if Jesus came through their towns casting out even more demonic. And maybe they said, you know what? We don't want to bear that price. That's too costly. It's too much. And so church, today I read you this story because I want you to grapple with an incredible principle and that's this right here. The work of Jesus to set captives free often comes at the expense of another. Did you hear that? Church, the work of Jesus to set captives free often comes at the expense of another. Now, you might go like, Arlie, I don't know if you can say that from this text. I don't know. You have another example. Guess what? I got two more for you we're going to go to. You with me? In Acts chapter 16, Paul encounters a slave girl who is so demonized. She's prophesying and doing divination, and she won't shut up. She just keeps on pounding with these things, right? And so he gets annoyed. It actually says in the text he became annoyed. And because he became annoyed, guess what he did? He drove the demon out. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to wear him out, you know, right? He, he cast this demon out of her, and it says that she gave her life to Jesus. She became a follower and, in fact, became a very influential member in the church at Philippi. It's an incredible story that you should read. But this girl, remember, what was she? She was not just demonized. She was what? Who, what's a slave? She was property of another. And they were using her in her slavery as one who could do divination. And guess what? When that demon of divination was driven out from her, guess what she could no longer do? Church, she was no longer useful to make a profit for her owners. And so you know what happens? The owners get so mad, they actually try to take the town against Paul. And it's this whole big thing because they lost their possession. They had to give up the wealth that they had accumulated through this girl because Jesus set her free. Come on now. Church, often... The work of Jesus to set a captive free comes at the expense of another. You want another story? Philemon. The letter to Philemon recounts the story of a slave who ran away from his master, Onesiphorus. Somehow this slave met up with Paul in a city, probably in Ephesus. And when he encounters Paul, Paul leads him to Jesus and he gives his life over to Christ and he starts to serve the Lord along Paul and later it kind of comes out, he winds up confessing, listen, I'm I'm not a free man, I belong to another and I ran away. And Paul says, that's not good, we gotta deal with that. You know what Paul does? He says, you gotta go back to your master. Now listen, under the Roman law of the time, the master had the authority to kill that man for desertion. So Paul sends him back with this letter, Philemon, in his hand, and he says, listen, this man, Philemon, Philemon's the the owner of the slave, he says, this man has been healed and transformed by Jesus. He now belongs to the king of kings, and so I'm going to ask you to release him so that he's, in fact, free. Paul asks Philemon to set this slave free, to incur that loss, that debt, that responsibility, that financial weight, so that another could go free in Jesus' name. Amen? Church. The work of Jesus to set a captive free often comes at the expense of another. And do you want to know something, church? Jesus is still setting captives free. I want to introduce you to my friend, Jessica. Jessica, would you come up here, please? Would you guys welcome her? Jessica, you feeling the Lord right now? Because I'm feeling the Lord right now. All right. This is Jessica. Jessica, tell us about your childhood and your early faith, if you would. Just tell everybody about that. So I was born in Syria. Oh, let's get your mic. Hold on. Hold on. Just a sec. Oh, yeah, I know. There we go. There you go. (laughs) Okay. 
So I was born in this area, and I grew up in a very Christian home. My parents did the very best that they could, and I remember going to church twice on Sunday sometimes, every Wednesday, youth group. I was even involved in some missions early on as 11 and 12-year-old up until a teenager. Um, Faith-based homeschooling as well, and so yeah, I got to know Jesus at a really early age. You knew Jesus? Oh, yeah. As a child, loved him. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? What happened after that? Um, so in high school, I got involved in the sports and stuff like that. I got to hang out with other kids outside of church and homeschool groups. And I started learning kind of what was acceptable in the world. Mm. And I started making this compromise, one compromise at a time, um, for acceptance, kind of trying to find my place. And... At the end of high school, I um, tried drinking for the first time, and I kind of liked how it made me feel. Mm. And it made me feel, you know, accepted and courageous and funny, and at least I thought I was. (laughs) 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 And that carried on, and we moved to Connecticut um, when I was done with high school. We moved around the country growing up, but Connecticut was the place I lived before I came back to Wyoming. And out there, I mean, a sheltered homeschool girl exposed to big city stuff, I just gave Satan a foothold in almost every area of my life. Um, I started drinking a whole lot more, and promiscuity, lying, um it got really bad and I was digging myself a really deep hole and what helped me kind of forget those kind of things was getting really drunk. (laughs) So I I struggled with that stuff for a very long time. There um, There were times where I would be like, okay, I'm done with this because of what I grew up learning. Okay, I'm done with this. I'm gonna do better tomorrow. I'm gonna do better tomorrow. So I would try again to, I'm done with this. I'm not going to hop from relationship to relationship or I'm not going to drink again, never again. Mm. Um, And I always fell back into it. It didn't take much and it didn't take long for me to Mm. fall back into substance. I tried other substances along the way because I just couldn't get enough, Mm. whatever it was. And I also chased money for a long time. Men was a huge issue for me. Mm. Um, And everything of the world fell short but I still chased and chased and chased and chased. Jessica, how long did that happen? How long did that go on for? Oh, man. So if you think of 18 until um, just about two years ago, Mm -hmm. um, I tried to clean things up. I even served in churches. I went back to church Mm -hmm. now and then, like, oh, I'm going to show up at church Sit in, the <laughs> sit in front of everyone. I'm going to even serve in front of the church, uh, you know, a welcome team before, before this church. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday after church, I couldn't wait to get home to have a drink or text that guy or have a guy come over or, mm-hmm. you know, just it was, I didn't, I dug such a hole and I, heard all the stories from other people in church and redemption stories, and I'm like, oh, that's good for them, but mm-hmm. they don't know who I really am. Um, if they knew that, if I showed that, if I was vulnerable enough to show them how deep in the desert I had gone, mm-hmm. um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be acceptable. Mm-hmm. I would be too vulnerable, and why would God want a broken heart like mine. Mm. I was the black sheep of my family, but I placed myself there. Mm. And I, th- I thought, Jesus isn't going to race after a black sheep. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> so I struggled with it for many years, um, even to the point of selling my body to pay for my first DUI. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of shame in that <laughs> mm. that I felt for a long time. And how could God forgive that? How could God forgive this and that and this and that? I was too far gone, Mm. too far gone. I had so many things that I struggled with. Mm. And it wasn't just the bigger, you know, that 
he put a label on these bigger sins that I had in my head. It was all those little stuff, the, the gossip, the judging, all that kind of stuff was acceptable. The things I watched, I, it was acceptable. Mm-hmm. It would be, um, it was shameful, the things that became acceptable in my life, and I kept there, and the cost was too big. I wanted to stay in that lifestyle because mm-hmm. um, I was comfortable in the chaos. Then what happened? <coughs> then there I was. <laughs> um, after had jumping from relationship to relationship, um, at this point I've been divorced twice because I was an absolute tyrant. I should have came with a warning sign for <laughs> 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 I was dressed in red flags. <laughs> Ironically, I'm wearing red today. That's great. Jessica, good good dress choice. <laughs> <laughs> Not today, y'all. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so the last relationship I was in was abusive, and I thought I deserved it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we were toxic for each other, but I thought I could stay in this relationship because I wouldn't have to be judged by mm-hmm. him. Like, I just wanted to be loved and there was that toxicity up and down roller coaster of <laughs> that I just couldn't let go of. Um, so I knew that God was pulling me away from it, but I just kept going back to him. And one night on April 1st, I had gone out to dinner with a couple of friends. And I had a couple drinks. I got home, and this is this is how I did things. I would, I would go out, have a... Ha- you know, keep myself together, have a couple drinks, go home, and get wasted when I got home mm-hmm. to the point of blackout drunk. Well, I did that, and every time I'd get drunk, I'd want to be with this guy. So after, you know, blocking and deleting and getting it rid of everything and attempt to not ever go back to him, I found an old voicemail, and I found his number, and I called him, and I was like, I'm going to come to you. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll take care of you, baby. It's going to be okay. You don't have to hurt anymore. And I just was searching for that love. Um, So I got in my truck, blackout drunk, and I was going, I don't even know how fast, down Main Street, down the center of Main Street, like the center, (laughs) the turning line. (laughs) Like, here I come. (laughs) Um, It was about 1.30 at night. The lights were blinking yellow, so I didn't have to stop. (laughs) As I look at Potter, I'm like, oh, gosh. Don't hold anything against me today, please. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, So I go to take that turn in front of the museum, and I jump the curb and hit the transformer, and my the transformer blew up. The the big electrical transformer in front of the museum took out the power to the hospital, the museum, and half of Main Street, and also it did a number on my truck. Uh, Airbags went off and. I somehow was able to crawl it away from the uh, transformer and was then hit with not only property damage, but they marked it as a hit and run. And I don't remember any of this. Mm. I don't remember a thing from it. The next thing I remember, I was waking up in jail, um, wondering if this time, this time I was going to prison for the rest of my life mm. because maybe I hurt somebody this time. Mm. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I drove drunk. Mm. I was had such a hold on me, such a hold on me. Mm. I couldn't imagine doing anything no. without it. No. Um, couldn't even face people without it. Many times I came to church back in the day, hungover or drunk. Mm. And I thought I managed well, because I could keep a job. I was showing up. I had a family, you know, outwardly. I could put on a pretty good face. Mm. So... Um, two weeks later, I actually got a ride to Harlan Highland Park Community Church for the first time. I walk in the door, terrified, <laughs> because I knew how Jesus made me feel in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I got a hug from Meredith when I first came in, and I had that big smile on my face, you know, but inside I was completely shattered and broken. Mm. And still not believing that God could break the patterns in me, that Jesus was loved me enough 
to break that, that thing, that thing that I was still holding on to, um, all those things, <laughs> the many legion of things. <laughs> um, so, sorry, I'm trying not to. No, you're good. Okay. You're good. So I wept the first song that Arlie was singing up here, the praise team, I wept. And then the second song, I wept. His sermon, I wept. We pr- uh, he was preaching in James. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I should back up to when I got home from jail. When I got home from jail, I, I realized that I hadn't hurt anybody and I was facing a felony and up to 10 years in prison. And my daughter wanted nothing to do with me. Um, I had pushed everyone else away in my life completely. Uh, I had completely isolated myself. My house was a mess. And I got to a point where the act of grace on my life that he got me to a point where all I could turn to was him. Mm. And I fell to my knees, fell to my knees, put my hands in my face on the floor. And I'm like, I'm God, I'm so sorry for what I have made this. I'm so sorry for what I have done. Um, I was at my, I was at my end, um, and I felt so bad that it had to come to this. I said, God, please take this, and I got, I I honestly didn't want to live. It was just too much. It was too heavy, and so that's why I was like, okay, um, I needed to make a change. I went to AA the next day because I couldn't make 24 hours sober. (laughs) Mm. And I found a little hope there, and then someone invited me to church. And so I came. I was a little embarrassed because I knew Arlie was, or I had heard Arlie was preaching or an assistant preacher or something. Mm -hmm. But I knew him, and I I had heard Keith was here too, and I was just like, they knew, (laughs) they know some of (laughs) how I used to be, and I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to face it. Cost was too big for me. I was too much of a coward, but um, in in some time, um, and a lots of, lots of those prayer cards in the back of your seats, <laughs> I used those <laughs> constantly in in my early sobriety and in, in my early time here at Highland Park, mm-hmm. and I um, little by little let go, and the chain started breaking off because I surrendered them and I repented all that deep, dark, secret stuff that I was going to take to my grave and no one would ever know I admitted to God, to another human being, and was honest with myself and everyone. I never thought I'd be sitting in front of my church family telling them the ugliness of my life. That's right. Amen. Sorry, um, thank you for that. I was facing jail, and by the time I went to jail, uh, October 25th of last year, mm-hmm. um, God had done some incredible mm-hmm. work in my life. The things I thought he couldn't do or wouldn't do, When you become that one sheep, that one lamb that he runs after, and he leaves the 99 for, that story changes for you when you become that little black sheep that he's running after. And he kicked doors down in the form of a car wreck, Mm -hmm. AA, you guys (laughs) loving me through the mess. And I was able, I got to go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! It was awesome. (laughs) And I say that because God was with me. He used me. How could he use a wretch like me? How? How? All of that garbage. Not only did he clean it up, and I'm not bound by those thoughts anymore. I'm not bound by the need to have a relationship or validation anymore. I've been called to be single, people. Come on now. Like, 
I'm not jumping from one relationship to another. He said, I'm going to give you a relationship. It's going to be with me, and that's going to be enough for you today. Come on now. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But why me, right? Because I thought I was worthless, and that was a lie in my head Mm -hmm. from the enemy. And he wiped that away today, too, because I find my identity in Christ. We were just giggling the other day. You Google my name, which... I mean, you can. I don't care. I'm an open book. But the first thing you see is a terrible mugshot (laughs) of me really drunk. (laughs) Because there was a news article that came out of that story that I told you while I was in jail. Um, And I could go on in stories about jail and such. But I have been used by the Holy Spirit and felt the Holy Spirit in a way I never had before. And a couple weeks ago when Arlie said, I'd rather um, the story of um, keep me in the desert if you're going to be here I would have rather stay in jail for the rest of my life wow. and feel what God, God was doing in my life in his presence mm-hmm. than be free. But I'll tell you what, I felt more free in jail, incarcerated. I was more free than I was ever captive by my addiction, Amen. by my, <laughs> I, I mean, I can call my, my the relationship bouncing and stuff like that. I can call that an addiction too. All, all of the things that held captive my life, I was free from, from. And so it doesn't matter where God places me now. I've counted the cost and it's worth it to me. I don't care wherever he leads me. I'm here. I am Lord. Send me. Amen. Amen. So Jessica, (coughs) now you're here. You're sitting at the feet of Jesus. You're clothed in righteousness. You're in your sound and sober mind. And you're telling everyone what Jesus has done for you. Come on. Jessica, (coughs) what has Jesus done for you? He has set me free. Come on now. Let's go. (laughs) Come on. Woo! Come on. Jessica, um... So just didn't stop there. She was just sharing the gospel in jail and just amazing. We, we felt like, man, God sent her there to just turn the place inside out. And women gave their lives to Jesus while you were there because you're sharing what Jesus had done for you. And then you got out of jail and um, you didn't stop telling what Jesus had done for you. And your passion for the Lord to follow him and to lead him. You said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, yes, and you're going to follow me in your hometown, and you're going to follow me in a home, but it's not going to be your home. You're going to give up everything you have, your job, your income, your support. You're going to sell all your possessions, and you're going to move into a house where you can help other women come to freedom in Jesus' name. Come on now, y'all. Let's go. Jesus has set you free, and now through you, Jessica, he's setting many free. We praise the Lord for you. Come on now. Thank you. Thank you for your story. Thank you so much. We love you. We love you. Thank you for sharing. Come on, you guys. Jesus' work to deliver and to heal to proclaim sight and to proclaim favor didn't stop at the cross, church. It continued in the church, and it continues in this house. Amen? Church Highland, we are beyond passionate about Christ's work to set the oppressed free. If you've come here for any time, you know we want to see those who are bound in addiction, bound to slavery of sin, bound in in depression, we want to see Jesus set them free by the power of his name and through his blood, and we believe he still does, church. Come on now. Church, we want to see lives so radically transformed by the gospel that you can't even recognize them anymore. Come on now. Guys, we want to see addicts delivered and the spiritually oppressed set free. And we want to see the blind come to sight in the truth of the gospel. We want the spiritually poor to proclaim how rich they are in Jesus because of what he has done. Now, come on, church. That's what we're about. And church, we believe that God has called us to be a house where trapped people find freedom and deliverance in Jesus' name. We don't just say this. We are doing this, church. Come on now. 
Christ is at work here, and we get to see more and more stories just like Jessica's because of what our Savior is still doing in this house. And so listen to me. We take risks to pursue God and love like Jesus. That's not just our mission statement. That's our action plan, church. We are going to risk everything we have so that more and more people can experience the freedom that Jesus has for them, church. We want to be so radical in our pursuit of God that we would risk everything in our life for the sake of his kingdom. Church, listen to me. We want to see the demonized set free. We want to see those who are depressed find freedom in Jesus and peace in him. Church, we believe that those who are in captivity, in jail, and in prison are going to be set free and rehabilitated by the power of Jesus. We want to see spiritually blind eyes opened by the spirit of Jesus. Guys, we want to see the poor in our community to thrive through the generosity of this house. Church, and we recognize that to share a part in Jesus' work is to share a part in those things. To do that work is to share a part in actually doing that for Jesus, to lean into who he is. And so, church, we recognize that to share a part in Jesus' work means that there's often an earthly price here that needs to be invested into the kingdom there. You with me? Listen to me. I just admonish every single one of you and encourage you and exhort you. Don't be so in love with your life and your lifestyle that you're not willing to sacrifice for the benefit of someone you don't even know. Church, you may not know the one oppressed whom God is trying to reach, but you have an opportunity to invest in their deliverance. Church, I want you to be actively looking for ways to invest in the freedom and deliverance of another. We're not given what we're given for us. We're given what we're given for them. Now, come on. Listen to me, church. Look for students in your kids' school who have need, and then go and meet that need. Look for families who need to, need to be blessed and, and have people come along and share with them and come and do that work, church. Look for coworkers. Look for people that are walking around your neighborhood. Look where God has placed you in your life and say, God, who are you trying to set free? And you have put me here in this city just like that man who was set free. You've put me here to proclaim all that you have done in me so that you can do it in them. Start lifting your eyes to see that, guys. Tell the transformation God has done in your life, and then I promise you, you're going to start seeing God transform others as well. Because transformation catches on. <laughs> it keeps on going. Church, let's not be so in love with our lives that we would rather Jesus leave us than use us. Let's give it all for him. Church, with our special focus on missions, we want to give you an opportunity to invest in what Christ is doing here in Cody to deliver others who are trapped in addiction. As a church, we are partnering with a ministry called Ezekiel 37 Ministries, and I'm so excited about this. Ezekiel 37 is a passage where, where he's, Ezekiel's looking out over a field of dry, dead bones and God tells him, prophesy, and these bones will come back to life. And that's the vision of this ministry, that God has given us his spirit so that when we look at what looks like it's death, what looks like it's never going to heal, what looks like it's going to be with you for the rest of your life, that God can breathe on that life and put life back into that soul. Amen? That God can actually take those dead, dry bones. He can put flesh on them. He can put a heart that was once stone. He can put a heart in them that beats for him. And we believe that that's what's happening, and this ministry exists to do just that church. Jessica serves with Ezekiel 37 ministry, and so it feels like this is our ministry, church. This is our house. Ezekiel 30 min 37 ministries exist to help break the cycle of addiction within families and within individuals. Guys, they're a faith-based organization that offers religious and secular programs, aid, and Christian support within the sober living community as well as in the jail and the prison system for release. And they work alongside other agencies for reunification of families, for sobriety maintenance, and to act as a support system. They do all this, guys, through relational discipleship, through taking people in with them, to live life with them, to give them the skills that they need so they can go back out in the world and not go back to jail, not go back out into the desert, but to walk back in the city and declare what Jesus has done for them. And so church... 
um, they operate a house right now, right down the street, where they're housing six, up to six women who every single day they lead through devotions and they, they lead through um, Bible studies and AA and NA and parenting classes and budgeting and money management and time management guidance and ev- a, lot, a lot more stuff, right? Jessica lives there full time as servant to these women and they're helping lives be transformed, guys. And so here's what's cool. They have a vision to do that not only for women but to do that for men as well. That there are men who are coming out of the jail system and they just get caught back up in their old ways because they don't know any better. They're going, we need to be the halfway point between, between being released from jail and actually finding freedom. Because there's two very different things there is in their church. And so, by God's grace, church, they're going to set up a house for men to come in and to live there and to go through those same things, but then also to be able to focus on working and and getting jobs and providing for their families that are kind of scattered around so that as men, the dignity of Christ would be within them as they provide for those who love, that they'd go from to be a a productive member of the community and, and what God is doing there. And so church, here's the deal. We have the opportunity to partner with them through three things, intercession, financial support, and volunteering. All right, let's talk intercession first. Church, I want you to start praying. I want you to start praying hard. I don't want you to have lip service here with this. You with me? Church, they are fighting a battle in the spiritual realm. They are fighting against the demonic. They are fighting against addiction. They are fighting against brokenness. They are fighting in Jesus' name, and they need you to fight with them. Guys, we want to be a church that's lifting them up, going, lifting up the women who are there, the ones who are leading this. Candace and, and Jessica are heavily involved in this. They need this, the power of the Holy Spirit behind them to just blow on their ministry and continue to strengthen and uphold them. Amen? This is tough work, guys, by the way. But we have a, we have a powerful God. Amen? And so what I want you to do is if you're going to commit to praying for them, I want you to stop by. Candy has a little table set up out here. Jessica will be out there as well. Stop by there and commit that to them. Just tell them. I'm going to pray, and I mean it. I'm going to pray for you on Wednesdays and on Fridays and on Sunday mornings, whenever you're going to do it. But you commit to that with them, church, okay? Intercession. Listen, if God is stirring you in your heart to take financial risk with us, then I want to encourage you to give so as a church we can come alongside and take the burden of cost down for this ministry, freeing up more beds and more locations and more people to come alongside to see more people set free in Jesus' name, church. That's what's happening. There's a cost to do this. And that cost can't be assumed by those going through it. They need someone else saying, listen, I'm willing. You can kill my pigs. For real. I'm willing to sacrifice. Church, you can give um, by cash or by check in our offering boxes by these doors. Just mark in a memo there, missions for us. And that will go directly to the missions fund, which will go to Ezekiel 37 Ministries as we're, as we're sponsoring and supporting them. Additionally, you can give online at hpcc.church forward slash give and just select in the drop-down Cody missions. There's two, Cody general. That's your general giving, your tithes and offerings. Cody Missions, that's going to go directly to the Missions Fund to support ministries like Ezekiel 37. And lastly, church, there are many volunteer opportunities for you to join hand in hand in, and I want to encourage you to do that. Don't just sit here and throw money at something, okay? Get involved. Because bringing people back through through this process requires relationships. It requires people willing to love them and say, hello, I'm here for you guys. They've got people, I think people to help move people in and out to celebrate when they're coming out of jail and into the house. They need men who will come alongside and serve as case, case managers. That's a big load, men. We got some big dudes in here with some big hearts. It's time to step up into that calling and say, I'm going to come alongside the guys who are, are being ostracized right now to see them find freedom in Jesus, church. They also need business leaders and business owners to provide jobs and job training for these men who are coming out of addiction and through this. And so I'm just going to encourage you. Many of you own businesses in here. Man, let's redeem that for Jesus and say, hey, I'll take on some risk with somebody. I'm willing to let some guy come work for me and teach him how to work as unto the Lord. Let's take that risk together, church. And so for more ways on how you can connect and serve, go see Candace and Jessica out there. Go talk to them. But church, remember, we're a house that says yes to Jesus. 
We're not a house saying, no, Jesus, we don't want more. We're saying, we want more, Jesus. We want to see more people set free. And if there's a cost to be paid, we will pay that price in Jesus' name because he paid the ultimate price, church. He paid it all so we can be free. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we ask for you to do an abundant work through the giving and the generosity of this house, Lord God, to see more and more people set free in Jesus' name. God, I pray that Jessica's story becomes the normative story in this house. God, that we see captives released. Lord, I'm compelled right now to pray over our brothers and sisters who are in here, who are fighting an addiction, who are struggling, Lord God. And they feel like this is something that it's gonna be on them forever. I pray in Jesus' name, you would set them free. God, would they bring it into the light? Would you show them that you're the God who sets captives free? So Lord God, we wanna see more and more of that. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you've done in Jessica's life and in many more. God, I thank you what you did in my life. We get to see your freedom. That now we get to dwell in the land of the living because of our king who laid down his life so that we could live. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We honor you. And would you be glorified in this house? We ask all this in the name of our king. Amen. Amen, church. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, let's just clap for what God's doing. Amen. It's good. All right. Let the Spirit of God stir you what to do to be supportive of that. All right. Let him, let him get you engaged in the mission. We'll be back next week to continue on in our Romans 8 series. I'm so pumped. So you guys get pumped.